Keep Nintendo Weird, everybody. Your boy Seth, happy, thrilled as always to be bringing you another episode of the Weird Nintendo podcast about loving weird Nintendo games. But before we begin the podcast, I'm going to roll this die. This metal 20-sided die uh, from Die Hard Dice that has been my main set of dice for tabletop RPGs for about the past five or six years or so. And um, let's do an episode check. This will all make sense in a few seconds. But for now, let's do an episode check. Let's let's see what we get when I roll this dice. I, th- I thought it'd be kind of nice to have the metal dice on the wooden table. It'd probably sound nice, if nothing else. And um, let's see what we get. Much like the players at my D&D table... You're just going to have to trust me because I'm not going to adjust the camera angle. So anyway, let's let's do an episode check. Uh, yeah, 17. Not bad. Uh, we'll, we'll take it. We'll certainly take it. Uh, not like a nat 20. That would have been awesome if it were a nat 20. Anyway. Uh, or really bad if it were a nat 1. Um, anyway, uh, all of that kind of theatrics um, only to set up the game that we're going to be talking about this week, which is Crimson Shroud, an excellent, wonderful little uh, Nintendo 3DS eShop game, part of the Guild series, which is really special. I mean, I think that the the Guild games in general um, were really just a matter of time before we covered them on the show. But as I mentioned to you guys, I think last time we were together um, for Keep Nintendo Weird, uh, that is a huge focus for me as we move into the closures of the 3DS and Wii U eShops uh, next year. So I, I wanted to cover this game, you know, and, and many others sooner rather than later. With that being said, um, we're not completely married to it. We, we do want to devote the most of our time and energy that we can um, to kind of highlighting these games while you can still buy them. That being said, uh, probably within the next week or two, I'm not going to lock anything down, but we we are going to cover something outside of the scope of that. You know, so this show is just going to keep trucking on um, with a kind of like more forward focus on 3DS and Wii U eShop games, but we reserve the right to cover some other stuff too. And we will be doing that uh, in the near future. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, um, with all that being said... As I'm looking to Crimson Shroud, one of the very first, you know, 3DS eShop games I wanted to make sure I covered, um, while you guys could still buy it, uh, I'm, I'm like scanning Twitter feverishly. I mean, one of the hardest things about producing the show is just finding somebody who has that passion, who has that, like, just passion for the game and can really help me illustrate why the game is so special. So I'm, I'm kind of like scanning Twitter and I come across a tweet by Jordan Starkweather, who is one of the co-hosts of the Pocketoid podcast, which is the longest running uh, handheld gaming podcast on the internet. And I reached out to Jordan and he was all about it. And we just had such a great time. This episode was recorded, um, as we've been doing a lot lately, live on twitch.tv slash online podcast. He was totally game for that. And we just have, I think, a great discussion about why Crimson Shroud is so special. And I think Jordan's passion for this game is really infectious. I I felt a really, like, kindred spirit in Jordan as we talked, like, pre- and post-recording about games. Actually, that reminds me. I'm going to shout this out here in the pre-roll. I think Jordan will appreciate this. Um... After we stopped recording, Jordan was like, ah, damn, like I wanted to mention this game on the podcast and it's a game called, I think it's Fuga Melodies of Steel. Okay, this is a follow-up. It's actually like a prequel, but it's a follow-up to um, like uh, Tail Concerto and Solo Turobo Red the Hunter on Nintendo DS. Those kind of really good, you know, really unique RPGs um, on the PS1 and Nintendo DS. And this game, Fuga, is on the Switch, is amazing, has, like, like, re- like extraordinarily well-reviewed, good Metacritic score, but nobody's talking about it, and nobody's buying it. And so, anyway, if you are a fan of this show, and if you're a fan of those games, look up Fuga. Do it right now. Pause this, come back, look up Fuga Melodies of Steel, and check it out. He blew my mind when he told me that, because I, I love those games, and I'd never heard of Fuga. Even somebody like me, who is a is a pre-existing fan of that series, has never heard of Fuga. Didn't know it existed. So, I imagine you don't either. So, go and look up Fuga, and for, for me, anyway, like, the second I laid, laid eyes on it, um, after Jordan told me about it, and I was, you know, finishing picking pieces of my brain matter off of the floors and walls of my office, uh, I it was an insta-buy. Like, I immediately bought it. Um, so, anyway... That's that's a tangent, but I, I wanted to make sure that that got mentioned on the podcast. Um, Jordan, just, you know, total kindred spirit. 
had a total blast talking with them. You guys are in for a treat. And uh, I'm not going to ramble anymore. Uh, links to everything, Jordan, are in the episode description. I think you guys are going to want to, after hearing this conversation, uh, definitely follow him and, and everything he does because he's just a great guy and uh, had a blast talking with him and, and picking his brain about not only this game, but the closures themselves and, and just kind of like the the nature of like game design within limitation and just, just a great chat. So... Anyways, guys, we're going to welcome Jordan to the show right now. Um, check out Fuga, Melody of Steel. Um, play Crimson Shroud. And as always, keep Nintendo weird. Hey, Jordan, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thank you so much for doing this. My, hang on. <laughs> this is so funny. We're, we're doing this live on twitch.tv slash all in podcast. And I'm sitting here looking at myself on the camera. My, my, it is like all screwed up. So uh, it's, you know, growing pains, work in progress. Man, thank you so much <laughs> for joining this uh, garbage truck on fire. Uh, uh, that's, good those to are see my ya. favorite podcasts. That's that's every, that's every podcast. Like we've can my my podcast is considered doing you know Twitch streams in the past, and I was like, and I'm like, oh god, if people heard what the show sounds like before I edited it, none of them would listen. <laughs> I edit all of our shows too, and and that is very much the case with uh, with our stuff too. It's interesting, Jordan, because I you know so we were talking about this a little bit before we got started. Um, I don't often get to talk to people who have been podcasting for as long as I have. So like, if you would tell the folks about your show and kind of where they might know you from, cause you've been doing this for a long time, man. I guess. Uh, so I, I record a podcast called Pocketoid. Uh, we are the internet's oldest handheld gaming podcast. We've been going, actually our first episode we ever recorded was in 2009. Um, but then our third host oh left and, uh, you know, just some things screwed up. So we didn't get back into it until the release of the 3DS in 2011. Um, but we've been going semi-regularly given, you know, maybe a Monster Hunter comes out here or there and we don't record for three weeks <laughs> since then. So <laughs> a little uh, distracted. Yeah, maybe. So it's, it's kind of, I mean, it is our hobby and it's just kind of, you know, it's a fun show to do. But at the time, you know, there was no one covering 3DS games and, and you know, DS games was our big thing, but no one was covering DS games. You was, it was hard to find reviews for stuff that wasn't you know published by Nintendo or Square Enix. Uh, and so right. we just really wanted a show to cover, you know, the, the more obscure stuff that we really enjoyed um, on top of, you know, the bigger stuff too. And we can't, we've, we've carried that forward into now, you know, we still, uh, we, we mostly cover the Nintendo switch now because it is kind of the big, uh, handheld of, of, of today. Uh, if you can even call it a handheld, I, I consider it a handheld. I was going to say, some people yeah, it's, it. it's a handheld, right? Yeah. It counts, yeah. Right? It's kind it's kind of interesting. It doesn't have like, for me, it's like, there's a, there's a vibe that a handheld has, and I'm not sure the switch has that vibe, but it's like, you can, there's definitely some overlap there though, especially like on the eShop side of things, you can find a lot of games that still carry that kind of spirit. Um, but anyway, we, so, you know, we covered 3ds Vita and now we're into the switch and we are very excited, uh, for the play date, which is coming very soon, uh, from, yeah. who was that from again? Riot? Is that who it is? I, I can't remember. Panic? Is panic, it panic? That's what it is. Too many, yeah. too, too yeah. many, <laughs> too many game, <laughs> like game developers word. named after. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's panic. And we're really excited for the game, for the, uh, for the play date to come out pretty soon. Uh, and yeah. I feel like, I feel like that's really going to. I know some people are kind of like iffy on it, but we've gotten our hands on one in the past and it is a cool, oh, cool, cool, cool piece of tech. And I, I'm really excited to to have another handheld to talk about. So, um, but yeah, so that's that's what we've been doing for, I guess, 11 years now, which is nuts. And uh, it's kind of crazy that we're now like recording a Crimson Sh Shroud retrospective, which is a game that I already reviewed and gave game of the year many years ago. <laughs> That's that. That's weird. That, I don't like that. That was the thing. That was the thing, man. I like when I was looking because you know, um, as as I'm sure you're well aware, Jordan, mm -hmm. there are not very many Crimson Shroud uh, podcasts <laughs> out there. There's not a whole heck of a lot of Crimson Shroud media, which is a, a recurring theme for this show. I'm gonna beg uh, you if you find that Crimson Shroud episode, dear God, don't listen to it. Our our 2012. <laughs> Do, do not go listen back and to, dig it up. <laughs> no, do not listen to old episodes of that show, please. 
Oh man. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That's, that's how I am too. Please don't go back and listen to my old podcasts. No, uh, I was so bad. I've gotten much better since then in, in 10 years. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a whole lot of crimson shroud media. So when I was, I was looking for somebody to reach out to, to chat about this game and I stumbled upon a relatively recent tweet of yours. And I want to say this was in response to the news of the eShop closures, mm. which is a huge impetus behind me covering 3DS games here lately. And um, and you had tweeted out that Crimson Shroud was your favorite 3DS game. Yeah. And it's, I, I that's mean, it's, huge. It's, it's taken me years to kind of get there because it's always been, you know, it's always been one of those games where I'm like, is it, you know, cause I, I, I'm not sure it's the best 3ds game. Like I, you know, sure. I think that, you know, God, I love Kid Icarus uprising so much. And I know it has oh a, a yeah. very, it has a very like divisive control scheme, but that is just an incredible video game on every level. I think personally, that one's mine. That's my favorite. Yeah. 3DS game. Yeah. And it's, in like, the air. yeah. It's, it's like, you know, and for years I went back and forth. Like, is it that, is it, you know, Resident Evil revelations? Is it fire emblem awake? I don't know. And, but you know, we're like 10 years removed now. And it's just like the game that just for me, when I, when I picture the 3ds in my head that pops on that home screen is Crimson Shroud every time. And so, yeah, I I really think it probably is my favorite 3ds game. And it also just checks a lot of boxes for me personally of just like shit that I love and, uh, things I love in game design in general. So, um, it also is kind of, I think we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but it's also kind of a, a weird, like. Uh, I guess like Mark or like, you know, it's, it's a weird point where, you know, there's games that came before it and ones that came after. And it, well, I was actually looking at the credits earlier today. And there's a lot of folks who worked on this game, that this was their last game who had storied histories in the industry. And so um, I think it's kind of a last hurrah for, I don't know, a very specific team or group of people uh, or just certain developers. And uh, yeah, it feels like that, that whole era was sort of, an end to the old way of Japanese games. And fortunately we're now in like the Renaissance, which is awesome. But at, at the time I remember feeling like, are we, is this the end of the JRPG? Is this the end of the you know big Japanese game? And this one, I don't know. I love it. I love Crimson Shroud. I'm already getting into it. We haven't even started the show. No, yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I love it. It's, it's really interesting because Crimson Shroud and and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to to kind of like set the stage for us here in a second yeah, about yeah. it because um, it's an interesting game to to describe. But you're right, it is sort of like this very compartmentalized, condensed RPG. Mm-hmm. Just like how do we take the 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 sort of um, prototypical like Matsuno experience mm-hmm. and make it into a like eight hour 3ds RPG. You know, and it's it's really I was actually thinking about this. This is going to be the first time in human history, I think, that um, Crimson Shroud and Lego uh, Star Wars have ever been compared (laughs) in a sentence. But I was playing Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga, and I was thinking to myself, kind of preparing for this chat tonight. I was like, this reminds me a little bit of Crimson Shroud in that this is like the most extra game of its scale I think I've ever played. Like they could have just gotten away with making this a very by the numbers, straightforward RPG with like no real depth, just a little like light snack of an RPG. And Crimson Shroud is not that Crimson Shroud has got a lot of depth to it, man. I I don't think Mats, I don't think Matsuno, I'm glad you brought up Matsuno specifically. Uh, You know, he's the guy who's behind the tactics ogre series, ogre battle. And, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics. He's kind of right. like the the father of like you know the modern turn based strategy game. But his and you know Vagrant Story as well. But it's it's like uh, in Final Fantasy twelve. I'm yeah sorry. I lo- I love him. I love his stuff. Yes, love it. The, the evilest stuff. Yeah. yeah. And for me, those games have always been kind of impenetrable. Like uh, like you know, it's like you said. Even this game is so deep. But I think it's like one of the reasons that Crimson Shroud clicks for me so much is like almost by limiting himself to such a small package, he still added all this depth. And so you get this game that you can finish in like, what is it, like five, 10 hours, something like that, an RPG yeah. you can finish in like 10 hours. Um, and I know, I know there's a second playthrough with, you know, the real ending and all that. But the it's ending, like, right. Yeah, right. it's awesome. It's just incredible to me that he took this this limitation, which is a small game and still added all these layers of depth to it to make it it's kind of like my perfect it's like i think that's the perfect video game i think the perfect video games are 
you know, Resident Evil, a game that's short, but you can get so much out of it by going back through and back through or by exploring all these different systems or challenging yourself in this way or that way. Um, but this one, you don't even really have to challenge yourself. There's just like today, I love this game so much. I've beat it like four or five times and I just learned about a new mechanic today. <laughs> like that's, oh wow, that, that's how much <laughs> stuff is in Crimson Shroud. It's nuts. Uh, I hope we get a chance to talk about that a little later because it's yeah no kinda, definitely definitely matsuno's so, a madman that's that's all i'll say he's crazy dude i i had a moment because I, I i booted the game up and just kind of like started a uh a playthrough just to kind of like tool around with it i knew i wasn't mm-hmm. gonna have time to play through the entire thing again but um but i just wanted to like you know go through it a little bit and i never had this happen when i initially played the game you know 10 years ago and again we'll get into this but i just have to shout this out because it's amazing you can actually roll the dice off of the mm-hmm. table, like the virtual table. That yep. that never happened to me before. And not yep. only that, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I just have to shout this out. Not only that, the dice can roll off the table and hit enemies, like yep. hit enemy pieces, bump yes. them. It's uh, so oh, it's, it's amazing. There's a hidden me- there's a hidden mechanic behind that too, actually, and I can't remember the specifics of it, but you can use it to basically break the game where it, it does something like it gives you like a critical roll almost every time if you can roll them like at a, like a certain oh way gosh. off the table. Um, okay, I'm going to I'm just going to say it. I'm okay. just going to go ahead and tell you the mechanic. Just, go ahead. A- apparently, go ahead. there is some mechanic that has to do with drawing Roman numerals uh, when you or th- when you throw the dice or Roman the Roman alphabet or something when you roll the dice like with the touch st- with the stylus to land like what number you want, like whatever number you want it to what? land. Yeah, I had no idea. Apparently, Matsuno hinted at it on Twitter years later. Uh, and it's like, if you draw like the symbol for like beta or whatever, it like, it'll land like, yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's freaking crazy. Oh my I, God. I had never, I never do this. I never <laughs> used it, but I'm excited to do yet another playthrough now. There's just something Dude, else there. And I mean, if, if you that's ever play, crazy. like, and that's the thing is like, I love Vagrant Story. I love Final Fantasy Tactics. You can play those games you i had a friend he used to just uh, like when i was in sixth grade and i remember he just had multiple like 400 hour final fantasy tactics saves on his memory cards like just because he would just dive so deep into that game and there's so many mechanics at play um and so many think ways to experiment and combine this and that and a vagrant story is even like weirder where you can like make weapons that do extra damage to you know fucking skeletons but don't damage humans and you can <laughs> yeah. stick the blade in a handle together. It's wild. And so like he loves to make these really kind of impenetra- impenetrable games. But that's why I think Crimson Shroud is the perfect balance because it's such a simple game, but then it has all of this depth that kind of encompassing that, that God, what a good game. God, I love Crimson Shroud. It's that's the thing. Like, this is one of the I'm usually really good at like reining it in when I when I <laughs> chat about these games. But we we have like just dove straight in so quickly. I don't think there's ever been a zero to 60 episode of Keep Nintendo Weird quite like this. I've been waiting 10 years for this podcast. I've been waiting 10 years to just talk about Crimson Shroud. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I've been waiting for this moment. So set the stage for us, if you would kind of describe the game for the folks. What like what is Crimson Shroud? Shroud. What's the elevator pitch for Crimson Shroud? So Crimson Shroud is a it is a Japanese RPG through and through, but it is kind of inspired by and also uh, paying tribute to tabletop RPGs. Uh, and it and it's you know the the characters on screen are actual like game pieces. The enemies on screen mm-hmm. are little like figures, um, but they're also very well detailed and, and look great. Um, on top of that, though, it has a fantastic story with a really interesting setting and characters uh, that is really well written, and uh, it has incredible uh, sound design and music and basically everything. Everything here just works together to form this world and story that feels. Uh, kind of you know it has that that matsuno like grittiness to it and realism and and intrigue political intrigue um but on on top of that it kind of just it also feels like you're playing a game of you know D D with your friends kind of uh and it sort of it just has that i don't know this 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 element to it that really uh, everything just kind of comes together in a perfect way the art style the music the the sound design and the way that the game's actually played so you explore like a little map and you go through this dungeon that is like multi-layered uh, and you move room to room by actually just picking 
spots on a mini map and that doesn't sound super compelling but for some reason it really is because i think that one of the i think that like by making a game that's driven by you know figurines and uh, a lot of really good writing it it has that element of a tabletop rpg where you wind up imagining a lot a lot of what it describes to you uh, sure you know it, it does cover these things in the sound design and the music and stuff as well um but it's just it's a game that uh it, it it tells but doesn't show you know and i think that's people always say show don't tell you know but it's like there's a strength too to telling and not showing and in a lot of ways like it's it's a game that just kind of captures your imagination and, it, and in that way it sort of feels like a throwback to you know eight and 16-bit rpgs where sure like there's you know you see what's going on and you're in a village and everything but there's a lot of like using your imagination to really buy into those worlds and those stories because they they couldn't you know like they couldn't animate a character uh having a dramatic death scene they had to take a sprite and just knock it over and you had to and use the right to do the rest and it's like this game is sort of doing that but just with three models you know you've got a static 3d image and they fall over and die um but at the same time it's 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 what surrounds that that makes it really compelling um and the, the battle system too is really interesting and and uh just like any matsuno game he's just a dude obsessed with mechanics and mechanics on mechanics and more mechanics on those mechanics and he loves i think this is one of the things that's great about his games is he loves making stuff that not every he's okay with making things that not everyone is going to see and i think that there's right. a i think that there's that's a kind of a missed a lost art in video games these days cuz it's like they make tons of content but you always know about it and you're always going to see all of it, uh, and, they, and they want you to because otherwise it's wasted money, you know. But it's I was like, about to say because now it's expensive. Yes. is the problem. <laughs> the re- yeah. you, you know it's there because yeah. you have to pay ten dollars extra to get it. <laughs> but like, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I think that one of the things that's really compelling about his games is yeah, you're not there's stuff that you're going to miss. Just like we just said, there's mechanics you may not discover for ten years, but that also makes the world feel more intentional, more lived in, and that there's always something more to find and see and do. Um, and so the battle system, for example, is crazy. It's you, you, you attack essentially by, you know, like selecting enemies, choosing your attacks, um, and rolling dice to see how you, you make out in that attack. Um, but then on top of that, you've got like, like if you go to the battle screen, it just has all these little icons, like onto the left of the screen, just it's like, because you can do like extra managed extra damage to minotaurs it's like there's so many little (laughs) there's so many little stats and things that you know different pieces of equipment affect that like you're never really ever going to be overpowered but you kind of have to plan for very specific situations and um the game like every encounter i find i might be misremembering this but i you know so correct me if i am if i am but i think that every encounter in the game has is like set out to you are going to be fighting this enemy this enemy this enemy it's not like in you know, a Final Fantasy game where you're wandering around and maybe like, you know, four goblins and one wolf are going to pop up, you know, and like next sure. time there'll be three goblins yeah. or whatever. In this game, it's like you walk into a room and you know that there's going to be two skeleton knights and a skeleton archer. And so like you kind right. of have, it, there's kind of this strategy to learning, you know, certain battles and certain areas of the map. Like if I, if I need to get to this room, I'm going to have to go back through that room and fight these dudes. And I really don't want to fight those dudes, but then maybe, you know, on your third playthrough, you're like, I can, I'm going to have to go back through this room, but I know if I hit that archer first, they're screwed. And so like, there's this, there's also just this, I don't know. There's so much, there's so many layers to the combat, even though it's a game that looks simple on the surface, but there's a lot of depth. And I think that, you know, like I said earlier, for me personally, those are the best video games. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I really like because um, in that way, it does sort of feel like a strategy game. Napsy mm-hmm. in the chat brings up the voice of cards comparison. I definitely want to talk yes, about that later God. because we're we're kind of seeing that come back around today a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, I, that game's I, totally inspired by this game. I I know people are going to be like dude, you're talking about this video game. What the hell are you doing with your life? But I have not played voice of cards and I also haven't played triangle strategy. And I, from everything I hear, those two video games that recently came out are capture the spirit of this and Matsuno's design philosophy in general, like so well. And so I'm very excited to play those. I have a one and a half year old. It's (laughs) when this game came out, yeah, when this game came out, I was working part time and right at fresh out of college. So it was perfect. But these days right man <laughs> you, you tell me you don't have a hundred hours laying around yeah, for an rpg God. anymore come yeah. on come on Jeez, man 
Yeah. Yeah. So this game, um, and, and yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I really want to kind of set the stage for what this game meant to the 3ds at the mm. time. You're talking about 2012, like this, and, and we've brought up Matsuno a few times, the sort of like auteur of games, like the, the evilest mm-hmm. final fantasy games, tactics, final fantasy 12, God, you brought dude. up vagrant story, ogre battle. Um, so they, Basically, in 2012, Level 5 had this initiative called the Guild Initiative, where uh, they released a set of small games for the 3DS eShop that were all kind of like developed by by Level 5, but co-developed and and directed by these sort of auteur game directors, people Mm -hmm. like Matsuno, Suda51, Keijanafune, Kazayabe, these sort of like Yutsaito, like these very prolific you know, Japanese kind of game dev legends to make and these kind of all, weird little all, Yeah, all games. these auteurs and Inafune. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and Inafune making his little, mm, you yeah. know, which is easily the worst guild game, by the yep. way. Easily the worst guild game. Uh, you know, apropos of nothing else. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Um, so this one was released as part of the Guild Zero one. They did one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, um, kind of like two waves of the guild series. And I, A, I think that's a genius idea, but B, it plays into what you're mentioning because this game, as a byproduct of the scope of Crimson Shroud, wound up being something that Matsuno had to have like self imposed limitations with. Mm. And so I think he kind of had to um, rein himself in. In a really in a way that ended up benefiting the the game because yeah. um, it, it does carry a certain scope and it does like but he's still able to kind of let loose and add the mechanical depth. It's like I was saying before, like he's able to still be extra and very like Matsuno, yep. but in the context of a little eight hour, you know, eight dollar three DS game. I've always you know. loved. I've always loved. Um... Like, I'm a big horror fan as well. I've actually got my webcam yeah. sta- stacked on about 15 horror novels in front of me right now. <laughs> I've always been a big <laughs> I've always been a big fan of anthology uh, horror movies. So, like, uh, right. uh, Creepshow or, you know, they're usually they're movies made up of smaller, you know, stories. Um, and, and I you know, some people don't like them because they're always like, oh, there's like one weak one. I'm like, okay, but who cares? Like, there's a bunch of great ones in there, too. Good and ones, yeah. The, the Guild series was really that. It was like an anthology game series. And I would love to see that again. But, but I've never been a big I've never been a big proponent of auteur theory. I think it's kind of like dumb in sure. a lot of ways. Especially it's like crazy to especially like a game or a movie. It's like crazy to imagine that this thing made by dozens or hundreds of people even so was many all the, people all the involved, responsibility right? of like this one dude. But I do believe that there are people. I, I believe it to an extent in that I think that auteur theory really works when somebody when a when a person who has a really dedicated vision or who's just kind of a person who knows what they want to make and how they want to make it has limitations imposed on them. And cause it's, it's the classic star Wars thing, right? George Lucas makes three of, you know, one of the, three of the coolest, most revolutionary movies of all time. Um, and that first one, especially just had so many limitations on it. And then when he's given free reign to do whatever with no, but with like a dream budget, what comes out? And it's like, I right. think that's the same way with, um, like I look at like, for instance, if you're studied the like really troubled history of the development of Final Fantasy 12, uh, you can kind of learn that like when Matsune was kind of given his big, uh, his big like <laughs> thing to do. And they were like, just go wild, just do your, just do your thing. It, you know, I still love Final Fantasy 12, but it also had a lot of issues, especially when it first released. And, um, and it's like, I think that someone like him, like you said, and Atu are really, really gets to show their strengths and, 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 in somewhere where they have to, you know, make do uh, with a certain limitation, and I think the Guild series was so cool for that. I, so many great games came out of that. I really miss um, when bigger studios and developers were making smaller games, and I think that handhelds, in particular, were uh, really cool at uh, kind of making that happen. Really, it's right. It's like you look at like in the era, even like like the the Game Boy. The original Game Boy was still getting original, like was still getting new games from like big name developers and and big, uh, when I say big name, I don't just mean like Konami or Capcom. I mean like, you know, the actual like directors. They were still getting huge games from those folks way into like 2000, right? It's like, you count the Game Boy Color all the way to like 2002. And um, 
and it's nuts to think about that because you, you know, yeah, it's like they could, they could have been working on this or this or this, but it's, I've been really getting into the Game Boy library in the last couple of years. And it's just kind of amazing what, you know, when you limit yourself to four colors and like a, you know, and, and a tiny eight bit game, what can come out of that or what, what kind of creativity that breeds. And I feel like Crimson Shroud is like the perfect example of that for the 3DS. Um, and, I, and, you know, maybe the Switch carries that on in some ways today, but I'm really excited to see how that also comes about on uh, the Play Day, which is coming out pretty soon. There's some pretty cool developers making stuff for that, and I'm interested to see what I was going to point to that. Yeah, I was going to point to that when you when you brought up uh, Play Day, because that's kind of similar. The Play Day is kind of that same idea of the guild where it's like, okay, let's get a game made yep. by Bennett Foddy or Keita Takahashi or whatever, yep. and build them into this thing and that's like that's kind of carrying that idea forward a little Mm -hmm. bit and again it has the limitations of the hardware um which i think you know when you when you give yourself a box that you're forced to work in um like one of my favorite games of last year was no more heroes 3 Mm -hmm. because hell yeah suda absolutely had limitations in place and budget in place. And like the way he stretched his budget is my Mm -hmm. favorite thing about that game, you know, and that's exactly what this is to go back to the sort of whole visual setup of it, the kind of tabletop aesthetic. It it's like, okay, I have this budgetary constraint. I can't have fully animated characters running around, but I can have them as little miniatures, you know? Yeah. But I can be like, yeah, (laughs) these little miniatures on the battlefield and stuff like that. And like rolling dice, these like weirdly well-rendered dice, by the way. Yeah. Like (laughs) really pretty looking (laughs) dice that, that animate super realistically weirdly. That's, well, that's Um, something that you've really got to like take into account too, is like this game looks fantastic. Like it looks really good. Even like, like there's scenes where, um, you know, all the characters are standing in like a, you know, it's just, you know, stiff little figurines but you've got like the lighting effects and the texturing and uh just the the quality of the models it's some of the best looking stuff you'll see on the 3ds um and even with like like you said that you know it's like we don't have to worry about animation so what else can we do and it allowed them to like i love the fact that all of your equipment changes other than like your armor but like your weapons your shields your bows and stuff show up like on your character and are all individually rendered and uh i that's for me with rpgs that's like a must because it's like part of the progression of the game is getting to see visual changes and uh getting to play dress up and uh i was like when i remember when that when i that happened i was like holy cow i can't believe a game that cost me what was it at launch like I don't remember, like ten bucks. Maybe I think it's eight bucks or yeah, something, eight, eight like seven ninety nine. Yeah, I like couldn't yeah. believe that it like the production values were like that off, like that crazy. And uh, yeah, it's because they they chose to you know put things in uh, where they thought it was important, and I feel like they chose correctly, obviously. So <laughs> yeah, so the one of the things that is also again just very like Matsuno about this game, and we've brought this up a little bit, but to dig into like the story of it and the kind of grittiness of the game, the political intrigue of the mm-hmm. game, like this game starts off, and again, it's been a while since I've played it, so if I if I'm misspeaking, definitely stop me in my tracks. But in in this kind of world, you've got a team of what's called chasers who are mercenaries who are kind of like their their specialization is to like hunt things down yeah. either like stolen or lost people or items essentially and the game picks up with them having basically succeeded in finding their mark who is dead or mm-hmm. dying um and and it's like this monk that like acquired this forbidden text that unravels like the uh conspiracy around the world's relationship with magic and like it's it's like hang on I am still playing a little $8 3DS <laughs> game, right? Like this little thing I bought on the eShop and yeah. there's like factions and politics yeah. and like twists and turns and like multiple endings. It is buck wild. I would not, I would not be surprised <laughs> if um, this was a concept that was kind of brewing in, in his notebooks for years and years and years. Cause it's just, there's so much depth. Like at one point I tried to make an RPG in college with some people and like the, the amount like and i was just like oh yeah this town it's great it's called forest town and you go there and someone gives you the fire <laughs> rod or whatever and this I had this person on my team at that time who just would, would start asking questions and because i'm not that kind of person but she would just be like 
okay, why does this town exist? How long has it been here? Who runs it and why? What's its place in the world and why? You know, and it's just like when you start, you know, when you start unraveling that stuff and like think think about the lore, it's like it it goes because when you have those answers, it makes it matters. It makes the world feel real and alive, and it, it allows you to immerse yourself in it. And this game has that in spades. It always, despite its like I said, limited visual design and it's, you know, limited length. It, it has a more fleshed out world than so many JRPGs that I've played, which is just an incredible yes. task. It's, you know, there's, they always say that, um, you know, I took a lot of writing courses in college and like one of the things that they always drive home, I'm sure anyone who's done studied anything in writing is that it's so much harder to say what you need to say with less words than it is to say them with more words. It's the whole reason why we have editors that exist, right? Cause you can, like for me, I can babble on all day and say nothing, but it's, it, it, sure. takes, it takes a real talent, uh, a real gift to, uh, you know, take something small and say a lot. And this game is really, really good at that. And, uh, ah, God, you're making me want to just like hit stop recording and like, go play this game now. <laughs> this is by talking <laughs> go about. play Crimson Shadow play right now. Again. <laughs> yeah. And it's almost a game in a couple of different parts. The way the story is delivered is almost visual novel ish. Mm. Um, and in the way that it kind of like stops and tells you a sort of narrated story, like through almost in time, I mean, for most of the game through like flashback framing yeah. um, until you eventually make your way up to the point that the game begins at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm so impressed every time I think back to that game and the, the, the place it goes, like when you do find out what the crimson shroud actually is mm-hmm. like, that is such a cool, I don't want to spoil it for, for people because I do want you guys to go play it, but like like stuff like that, like there are twists and turns to this. There is depth to this story. There is there is something to this world. And I, I really kind of wish, and, and from what it sounds like, Matsuno, after this game came out, he just sort of like pieced out, like dipped out of level yep. five. And, you know, and he was just kind of like, all right, cool, did it. But yep. I was kind of really hoping after this came out, I was like, man, you could have released one of these every year. You know, and I would have bought it. Absolutely. And like, I just wanted more from that world, you know? And that's something that like, I've heard a lot of folks, like, like for instance, I just, uh, I'm about to wrap up the new Kirby game, which is great. Uh, yeah. and, and yeah, I have, yeah. a, you know, my co-host is constantly, he's been talking about like, God, this game's going to be over. And I'm going to be so sad. Cause there's like, I just want it to go on forever. And I always say, you know, and I, this is a lesson I had to learn over many, many years is that I would always rather be left wanting more from a game and its world yes. than being sick of it by the end. Like I just beat Bot and Kaitos in 2020. God, you know. Oh, wow. It's a great game, but I was so sick of that game by the end. It was just like, sure, it's, this, has, yeah. this has gone on 20 hours longer than it needed to. Like we could have, and like, and I would, if we had ended it 20 hours earlier, I would have just been like, fantastic. Like this is like a nine out of 10. Um, but it's so many RPGs, especially just seem to go on and on and on. Um, I want to jump back a little bit to the to the uh, visual novel thing you said because it's yeah. kind of it's kind of nuts to me. I'd never really thought of it this way, but even Final Fantasy Tactics kind of does the exact same thing. You don't in that game you don't go and explore towns. You don't. It's just kind of like you do a mission and then you same kind of overworld map where you go boop to like different points, just like this game. Yes, and then it you know you do a mission and then it goes to a story cutscene and then you do another mission. And uh, I'd never really thought about how. The, those games kind of mirror each other in that way and and uh the uh, tactics ogre series exact same thing the ogre battle games exact same thing uh like in those games the way you explore the map is you just move point to point and then it does story cutscenes. and um yeah matsuno has a thing for uh kind of wrenching control away from the player except for you know when it comes to like combat and like very direct gameplay and i think it kind of runs uh afoul of some things that you know especially modern Western game devs would say, because ever since Half-Life 2, it's like players got to be in control of all, at all times. But I think there's some, right. I think there's something really uh, powerful. You know, you can do something really powerful with that kind of storytelling that, um, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's I think it's valid. And I think it that this game is a, a great, uh, a great way to show that. And so is Final Fantasy Tactics, actually. If you haven't played Final Fantasy Tactics, by the way, go play that game. Read, read yeah, a you, game, should, you should fix that. Read a game facts first. <laughs> but yeah, go play that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it definitely has the measure of like you you feel like you're you're curled up with like a good book yeah you know? it's just one that you yes one that you also play you yeah. know one that you also play and you feel i mean you feel like you're sitting at the table for mm-hmm. a, a really good little like D session you yeah. know and it feels 
it feels singular, but it feels bigger. It feels yeah. like it's part of a world. It's like you, um, you know, it's like your friend started a campaign a few months ago and you're like, can I sit in on a one shot? You know, can I sit in for a session or <laughs> something? And, and that's what Crimson Shroud is. And I do wish there was more of it. I'm sad that there's not. I want to point out that Napsy in the chat here on Twitch brought up voice of cards. And I find it so mm. interesting that now we're seeing, you know, these developers kind of take this kind of this concept, this limiting, even straight up like voice of cards is a straight up like tabletop you know, simulation yeah. sort of um, visage and like telling a story about it. And, and it, now we're kind of getting what we wish we got from Crimson Shroud because mm -hmm. they released another one like six months later. Yeah. We, I, I've been saying this too a lot. I know that's, I know this is hard for the zoomers to swallow because they're just, <laughs> they're at that perfect like mid twenties age where everything sucks and it used to be way better, but I'm here to tell you, man, right. we, we are like in a golden era for video games. Oh, it's like amazing. It's, it's kind of, a, and especially for Japanese games, it's kind of a renaissance because it seems like everything that comes out can find an audience. I know that's not true for everything, but it seems like a lot of really good stuff that you just used to not gain any traction and would you would just see the developers just gone after it would release. Uh, it, it just kind of has the potential now to, to, to really find an audience and, and to, you know, to get a sequel or to get a follow-up or to get those people more work. Like I, you know, I wasn't a fan of Octopath Traveler, but I'm so glad those folks were able to go on and make, you know, triangle strategy. And uh, it looks like that, which is such a stupid title. You guys got to stop. <laughs> with those titles, <laughs> you got to, you got, and, and then here's the, here's the worst that. though, is they, they reveal it as project Octopath Traveler, <laughs> project know. triangle strategy. Stop and, it. And then they, they leave you that hope that the final title is going to be better. And it never is. Never you guys, is. you got to cool it. You got, we got, you got to chill. You got to stop that. Um, you got to chill. <laughs> and I, I know that there are still a lot of games that fly under the radar or don't find, you know, as big of an audience, but I just feel like through, you know, digital distribution and also just the fact that, you know, just Twitter and, you know, people being able to dialogue and share and recommend things. And, uh, and yeah, it's just awesome. I love this era where stuff can find niche genres or what previously was niche genres can find uh, mainstream success. And uh, it's dope. It's very, very cool. And yeah, I wish that Crimson Shroud, you know, could have come out like or any of Matsuno's games could have come out, uh, you know, more recently because I feel like it would just it would have a, a completely different impact than it did at the time. Um, and I know Final Fantasy Tactics was a big success, and you know Tactics Ogre got a lot of critical praise. But even Tactics Ogre, like folks, did not start talking about that game until years and years after it released. I mean, even years after the remake released. So, right. um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good time. It's a good time for video games, and it's cool yeah but I, I mean you see something like voice of cards come out on mm -hmm. switch and it, it's a total standout thing yeah that everybody talks about because it's so different it's like okay <laughs> if crimson shroud had come out on mm -hmm. switch versus 3ds yep. if it had come out today this is the game everybody would yeah. be talking about the same way they're talking about voice of cards you know and i think i think i think things are yeah i think things are always that way though you know it's like i'm sure yeah Ma, Ma, you know, if we talked to matsuno he'd be like oh you guys think you know my stuff's great well what you need to go back and play wizardry on the PC 88 or whatever. You know? it's like he, <laughs> sure, like he would sure. have, he would have some things that he would talk about and say, or, you know, like, cause it's just, just kind of how things go. It's like anything that comes out and you play it and you're like, wow, this is revolutionary. I've never seen this before is likely calling back to something that you've missed along the line. Cause, uh, you know, things are always just, you know, being inspired by this and that and whatever. So, <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like breath of the wild right breath of the wild came out and then it's like oh it's just the first zelda game again <laughs> with minecraft added to it <laughs> sprinkled in there and uh but for a lot of us like we never really got what the big deal was about the first zelda game because it was just too much for us to parse but it's like suddenly something comes out that's uses that same design philosophy you know 30 years later and it feels brand new and fresh again um and i'm sure that it's the same way for folks experiencing, you know, voice of cards or triangle strategy for the first time as well. Not me. Cause I haven't played them yet. Cause I'm, cause I'm an idiot, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you will someday. Yes. You, very you, soon. you have, you know, a human baby to, uh, to see too. Yeah. Now the, the big difference though, for, for this stuff is that I, I want to say, I think they released a physical of mm -hmm. maybe the first guild in Japan. Yes. I think, I think they um, originally released physical in Japan and then they got separated out for us i wonder if that factored into like the size of the games at all i don't know but 
Maybe that, but, but what's, you know, I mean, and, and I want to pick your brain on this a little bit since you, you know, run a handheld, um, centric podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, such a big reason why I want to cover this game now versus later. And, and a lot of these games now versus later is because of the, um, impending closure of these eShops and, we're, I mean, somebody listening to this podcast in a few years is not going to have any way to go out and buy Crimson Shroud, yeah. you know? Um, and that's, that's a bummer. So like, I want to, I want to pick your brain about that. How are you feeling about these as a, as the handheld guy? So I've always been, I mean, I love physical games. Um, and I, you know, I kind of have my own little code of honor where, you know, if something's available physically for the same price as it is digitally, I will buy it. Right. Um, physically if I can, uh, and I, you know, but I also know that it's a gray area because I think that it's really cool how digital games can, you know, open up open up games to a whole new audience and also, you know, get get developers more direct funds because you know the money doesn't have to be split between manufacturing, you know, and, and a publisher even sometimes. Sure. Um, and so I feel I feel conflicted about it because it's like I I love the way that this has opened up um, games like Voice of Cards. You know, it's opened up a way for those kinds of projects to exist and indie games to exist. Uh, the proliferation of, of digital games, but I also kind of hate it because it just sucks when, because I know I have, I've got, I've heard that Nintendo, uh, the reason that the 3DS shop is closing, they wanted to do it sooner actually, but there was like basically a legal thing where they were like, ah, let's wait till it's 10 years old. Cause when it's 10 years old, we can't get sued for it basically. And it's like these companies, mm. they will, if they could, they would shut this shit down as soon as their next console launched. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about preservation. It's not, it's not a priority for them. It doesn't make them any money. Um, and so part of me just says, you know what? Pirate your games. Just, just do it. I think it's great if you can pay for something and it, that those funds can go to the original developers. Sure, you should do that. But also at the same time, like piracy is preservation. I firmly believe that. Right. And, and it's like anymore that's good. And people used to fight me on this, man. I used to get like just so much hate mail for saying this years and years ago. But now that we've seen stuff like, you know, XBLA go away sometime or well, that's, they've been a little bit better about it. But now that we've seen stuff like, you know, Sony trying to shut down like the Vita store at one point, And we've mm-hmm. seen Nintendo close down the Wii shop. We've seen now, you know, now we're losing the Wii U and the 3DS shop as well. It's like, yeah, guys, it's stuff isn't going to be around forever. Uh, and it's like the only way to make sure that it's still available for the future is to share it around for free. And that's what, that's how libraries started for crying out loud. And so um, my thing is just hack your 3ds and download it. You know, if you can't buy it, if you can buy it, you should buy it because it's a fantastic game and the folks who made it deserve uh, to, to get paid for it. But you know, I was happy to buy it, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, yeah, it sucks. I hate it. I don't, I don't, I don't really, it's like, I like, I'm not going to say it's good, but, like I said, I'm I'm of two minds about it because it's like would have would we have ever gotten Crimson Shroud here in the United States if it wasn't for the 3DS eShop? Mm, probably not. Right. Probably not. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the 3DS eShop was sort of a a really interesting hub for stuff like these guild mm. games. And another side, I mean, there's you know, there's a million, you know, I, I say on this show in particular all the time that um Game Freak's worst game is Pokemon, you know, because they make things like <laughs> yeah. Pocket Card Jockey and yeah. Drill Dozer. Oh, and, yeah. You know, Harmonite. And, and, yeah. And uh, um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Pulse Man. God, Pulse Man's so good. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they make, you know, really good stuff that's not Pokemon. And and anyway, the, the 3DS is, is a really good hub for stuff like that. And I, you know, I want to dedicate a lot of energy to highlighting things like Crimson Shroud yeah. and, you know, buy it while you can. It's currently, yes. you know, again, $7.99 on the eShop, buy it. Um, but I, I also it's agree cr- with you. The, you're um, stealing it at that price. Eight bucks for oh, Crimson yeah. Shroud is yeah. insane. Like if that game released today, it would be $30. No shot. Like there's, no way that game is below that. 30. Absolutely. And I, I would have yeah. paid it happily, but like eight bucks is just a no brainer. <laughs> and it's, you know, so I, I actually looked up because I think I felt like I got a little more time out of it out of it than this. I think I wound up doing like nine or ten hours. There's that really annoying, we should mention there's that really annoying random drop. Mm, God. Um, which I think happens. <laughs> I think that happens twice in the game between both playthroughs, between New Game and Plus. So it's really annoying if you don't know what to do. That's what I'll say. <laughs> it, it happened that okay. it's really easy to get it with the way I was playing. And so it, I never had this problem. Okay. And so, and so like... Interesting. Essentially, what I think what it is, is it was kind of what I was talking about earlier. I think the way that there's a key you have to get, and it's like, you get like a 3% chance 
you know, there's a 3% chance it'll drop unless at this certain battle, you kill the skeleton archers first. I think that's what it was. And so I was, I was always going after the archers first. And so I like won it on my second or third try. And then everyone was talking about this. I was like, it's right there, guys. What are you talking about? So like, I think <laughs> that's, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that is the flip side of Matsuno's video game design philosophy, which is he, he loves cryptic shit. He just does. He it's like, he loves to yeah. make stuff. And I mean, not, not to the point that like, you know, we're not like talking about like an NES game here where you're like, you got to take Dracula's no. heart, heart and slam it into this door to make a state come out. It's not like that, but it's like, there's, there's certain times when you're like, I need to look up a game facts guide for this. Cause I don't understand why all of my characters have Zodiac signs and how that affects the way that they, <laughs> right. you know, he's, he's a crazy man. He's a madman. <laughs> so you, you look at like the crafting system of vagrant story for yes. a second, which is like a hot mess. And that, that tells you all you need to know. And there is something that is like that a little bit in, in crimson shroud in like this one very specific thing. And I'm telling you at least an hour of my time with it went to that. Um, <laughs> I think I did that encounter like 13 times. Yeah. Um, so Anyway, how long to beat has it at uh, seven hours and twenty minutes? That's yeah. probably fair. Um, I think my first play. I think my, I think my first two playthroughs were like ten hours. But there's, like I said, you don't unlock the real ending until you play it twice. And so, yes, and that, and that real ending is freaking worth it. I will say that it's worth playing it through is. twice. It's very good. Because this this game also does something. And again, I really I don't want to spoil it, so I'm going to say this vaguely, but. I love it when games give me an ending that is um, honest, like yeah. an ending that is like, it's not the kind of like sunshine and rainbows, mm -hmm. you know, perfect resolution. It's honest. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that would happen in this situation. And Crimson Shroud ends in a way that is, especially in the first run through buck wild. And yeah. you're sort of like, just like dour man. Oh, and, shit. uh, and I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love I, it for that. I think that like, I think that's a, it's, how do I say this? I think that especially in regards to like JRPGs, but just even in video games in general, you, you just, you get this, you get these stories a lot where there's like no good guys and no bad guys. Right. It's like everyone believes right. they're doing the right thing and they're trying, you get that a lot in like books. Right. And you get that a lot in like, especially like fantasy novels and things like that, but you don't, you don't get that a lot in video games. A lot of video games are like, you're the good guy. Here's the bad guy. Blow up the bad guy's base. You won. You know, it's, it's that bionic commando story of it, blow up Hitler's face and you win. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, that's one of the things that's so cool about Matsuno is for so long, you know, you, I mean, way back, even before anyone was doing this kind of thing, he was writing stories that, that were really complex and had, you know, a lot of complex motivations and characters. And this guy is a good guy from this perspective and a monster from this perspective. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I love that. I think it makes the world feel like more alive and more fleshed out. And this game is no exception. So, and again, I, I just want to stress that all of this stuff that we've just spent the past, like almost hour talking about is for an $8 3ds yeah. shop game. So <laughs> yeah. I just want to stress that one last time, um, how wild that is. Um, so, Jordan, something I, I always kind of want to do, I, I feel like, you know, we're, we're both longtime podcasters. Yeah. The, the podcaster's curse is after you hit the record button and you stop recording, you're like, oh, I should have said that. Mm. So is, is there anything that you wanted to make sure we brought up as, yes. as we wrap up here? I want to talk about the music. Um, so, oh, yes. So this game's composed uh, by Hitoshi Sakimoto, and he is... Sakimoto, I, yes. I, I think he's probably my favorite composer. I mean, I love Umatsu. I've got I've got my autographed Final Fantasy IX and Final Fantasy VI behind me. But Oh, I that's sick. But I, I, if I could ever get a chance to meet Sakimoto, man, he just... Um, which I didn't realize this until I was looking him up earlier today, but I didn't realize he composed uh, 13 Sentinels, which is releasing on the Switch, I think, next Ooh, month. I so haven't played that yet. I, I haven't no, no, either. it's next week. I've, it's oh, next, next week. week. Wow, God. Yeah. I don't have any money. Yeah. Any money. <laughs> but uh, he, he, <laughs> right. he composed 13 Sentinels, uh, which I had no idea about. And so I'm extra excited to give that game a shot now. Um, I really want to play that. But if you yeah. don't know him, it's like him and him and uh, Matsuno are kind of, they just go together like bread and butter, you know? So if you it's peanut are, butter and chocolate, yeah. Yep. If, you, if you're a fan of the soundtracks of, you know, vagrant story or final fantasy tactics or any of those, like you're going to love this. He's definitely on like his tactics game. Like it feels this soundtrack feels it's very, very tactics, tactics. Um, very tactics is in my opinion, the best soundtrack of all time, you know, give or take a couple others. I, it, 
it's up there. I could probably rank like five that are even for me personally, but man, it is an incredible soundtrack. And so I just want to make sure that we, uh, cause it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like a tragedy that a soundtrack could be that good. Like, and just kind of be, most people probably have never heard a single song from this game. And it's like, right. As, as good as some of the best final fantasy music you've ever heard. Um, he even, he even does this thing, which is very, uh, I think it's something that he does. Yeah, because he did a lot in Final Fantasy XII, and I think it's it's a it's a type of composition that's inspired. I think it's there's a, there's a name for it. But they use it in Star Wars, okay, where every where each character has their own theme. You know, you got like oh, Le- sure. Leia's theme and Luke's theme. The Final Fantasy series, especially six, used this a lot. Um, uh, but he he uses it a lot in this game, where you'll hear the main theme of the game kind of weaved in and out of even like ambient tracks and things. And yeah. Uh, light motif. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Light motif. And he yeah. just, he just goes wild with that shit all over. And I, I love how, like I was just playing it a little while ago before we recorded and I was like in a dungeon and like, there was just steam playing and I was like, wait a second, that's the main theme of the game. And it, I didn't even pick it up cause it was like so slow and quiet, Yeah, um, but it's damn, what a good soundtrack. Damn. Undertale does that a lot. Undertale, I think, is, is yeah. the touchstone for light motifs. I always yeah, go back to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because um, it does that same thing. Yeah, it's it's a great soundtrack, man. Mm-hmm. My So my favorite um, video game composer is Yasunori Mitsuda. Oh, and, um, another good one. Yeah, he's my favorite. Yeah, I, I love Mitsuda. And, um, and, you know, but Sakimoto definitely does have that sort of like... There's, and again, this just goes back to what I was saying earlier. This game is so extra. Mm-hmm. Like, why does this game have this kind of production value? <laughs> why does it have this, this caliber of soundtrack? You when, know, when you go and look at the credits, cause I was like, actually, I actually went through the credits tonight on, uh, on Moby games and just clicked through every single person. And there are so, yeah. I would say like a good 80% of the team, this was their last video game. And, uh, wow. or, or at least the last thing, you know, that's on Moby games that they're credited in. And I, I feel like I feel like that's maybe the reason why. I feel like for a lot of folks, this was kind of their last hurrah, um, you know, or they just wanted to give it their all, and maybe it didn't, you know, meet expectations, and so they just kind of left the industry. But it it really feels like it's just a lot of love went into this, uh, and it's and it just shows. It feels like uh, everyone who made it knew what they were making and was on board with it, and it all just comes together. I I hope that Matsuno was. <laughs> was uh happy with how it turned out i know he just like peaced out of level five when it was over right um but based on other things we've heard sometimes things at level five weren't uh as great as you would hope they were so that could also be why but so it sounds like yeah yeah. anyway it's god good video game good good video game indeed (laughs) um man i could sit here and talk to you all night about crimson trap i'm not going to take up your entire evening jordan but uh, i do want to point folks to to you real quick as we wrap up how can folks follow you follow pocket toids crt pixels which i know <laughs> I uh, is huge <laughs> we didn't even mention that so yeah. tell, tell us a little bit about that so i uh I, I run a blog about old tvs i got one behind me this is my pvm uh one of them and yes. i i run a blog about old tvs and uh really it's just about how basically our perception of our modern perception of retro games is colored by you know, a difference in technology, you know, we see things sharp and crisp, but that is not how these games were originally displayed. Uh, and, right. as, and as I've studied and talked to developers of everything from Donkey Kong Country to Mortal Kombat, which has been crazy from just like, you know, yeah, it's like I've gotten to talk to some of these folks and they'll straight up tell me like, yeah, no, we designed whenever we were drawing pixel art, we would squint our eyes and try and make it blurry to know how it would look to, to players. And so I've just I, I've, I've created a blog to kind of compare sort of how these games look over, you know, on CRTs versus how we see them today. Um, and I think both are great. And my thing is I love both. I play on my, you know, 4K TV all the time and I play on my CRTs all the time. Um, but my thing is I don't want that original, you know, artwork to be lost. And I want to, I want to raise awareness so that, you know, there's more preservation of that look and that uh, original intent for some of this art. And I've been really happy to see that it's gotten such a big response over the last uh, year, which is crazy. Um, but also that I've actually, you know, had developers contact me and ask me questions about how can we implement, you know, better CRT filters? How can, what do you think of this wow. or that? And uh, that's been my favorite part. How cool. Is because that's what I want. Yeah. I just want, I just want, you know, people to, to know that this was a thing. And I, because I, this, this technology isn't going to be around forever and I would hate for it to be lost uh, eventually. And I feel the same way about, you know, playing on a, game boy screen where it has like very specific you know tricks that a lot of games use that that deal with that specific screen designed around it exactly and i love how analog pocket is 
you know, has or the analog has designed their pocket around some of that stuff. But it's, you know, for a lot of people, I think that they didn't even realize that some of those hardware tricks uh, existed. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, I don't know, I'm just a big fan of like the intention that goes into video games. I think that and the, and the deeper you look at it, man, the deeper you start looking into, you know, how, 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 how intentional was this or how, how much did they plan for this thing in this game? The more you just start discovering that uh, everything, <laughs> stuff you would never even think about is intentional and put there for a reason. Yes. Um, and if it's not there, it's usually just because of time crunch and budget. But it's like, I don't know, it's, it's insane to me how much the people that make video games care about video games way more than we ever do would do or could even and uh this game is a perfect example of that i love how crimson shroud it's like there's there's stuff here that i'm sure we haven't even discovered yet about this game and um it's just amazing to me the the work and the passion that goes into creating a work of art uh, like crimson shroud or whatever video game is your preference so yeah that's why i created crt pixels you can go follow me there and learn more weird stuff about old tvs I'm also, uh, I also do a, I also do a stupid podcast just for fun called Pocketoid. You can find us at pocketoidpodcast.com, um, or wherever you listen to good podcasts. And, uh, we talk about handheld video games, a lot of indie stuff, a lot of switch stuff, uh, and just, uh, yeah, a lot of Chinese emulation handhelds and, uh, <laughs> soon the play date, we just got an analog pocket. So we've been talking about that and having yes. fun with that. Um, and yeah, we also go, we, we do retrospectives and stuff too. I think we just did our a big 3ds retrospective uh like last year the year before i don't know time has been crazy for the last couple of years so time's weird it could yeah. have been 2019 i don't know so yeah you can find me there you can also follow me personally at jackal 27 on twitter um my my stupid username that i've had since i was 12 so if you want to if you want to follow me on twitter and hear my bad takes uh that's where you can do it <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, you guys will, of course, find uh, find links to everything, Jordan, in the episode description. Uh, man, again, just thank you so much for, yeah, for coming out and doing this. Absolutely. What a blast. What a blast. As soon as you said your podcast was called Keep Nintendo Weird, I was like, wow, that's my brand. I've got to be on that <laughs> podcast. So if you ever, ever, ever <laughs> want to talk about other stuff like this, I am always on board. Definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. So fantastic. Again, uh, thanks again, Jordan. Thank you, everybody who is watching live on Twitch. Thank you, everybody who's watching the VOD on YouTube or whatever. <laughs> uh, we will see you next time. Create what you want to create. And thank you all for helping me keep Nintendo weird. Bye. Bye. Bye.